Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kao and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, back to the Veteran Founder Podcast for another great week on the Startup Radio Network. This week, we're welcoming Keith Pape from Yellow Pike Media. Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. I'm really excited about this because um, Josh is out on vacation, which means I get to play. And, um, you know, it's hard to find another like-minded media professional. So this is kind of cool. <laughs> They're trying to from- hide us. I know, like we're usually behind the camera, you know, like coaching everybody else what to do. Exactly. Tell tell me a little bit about you. Like, how did you get started with your time in service? Um, I was one of those really old school knuckleheads. I grew up watching John Wayne movies. You know, I just like I grew up at at that time where you were like, that that's the most amazing thing ever. How's it's perfect. And then to top it off, I think when I was in high school, the movie Stripes came out. And then they told me I could travel the world and it's like a vacation. And I, I was an idiot. I, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but, uh, I, but I just knew. I mean, from the, from the very beginning of high school, I'm like, I know that's what I want to do. Uh, I, I think it, it helped that I realized quickly I wasn't ready for more schooling immediately after high school. So that's how I convinced my parents, like, well, no, I'm going to I'm going to get, you know, college fund and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to I'm going to learn all these great things. So I'm ready for college. This is better for you, mom and dad. I'm not sure they bought off on that. Did but, it uh, work, though? I mean, they, I guess they, they they signed the paperwork. They signed yeah. they, they signed the delayed entry paperwork when I was 17. So I think they could tell they, there was no talking me out of it. And so, you know, off we went. Yeah, my son, my youngest is he just got sworn in to the Air Force uh, Reserves oh, awesome. at 17 and he's in the delayed entry program and he's yeah. waiting waiting to to ship off in January. Uh, but the but the deal was, okay, you've got to do reserves so you can do your school, go to college, right. get your four-year degree and then decide if you're going to go active duty, you know, commission in or uh, what have you. Go, right. But I'm like, you know, let's just try it different with this one. The oldest went and quit school and decided to go enlisted and he was a combat medic. So I've got uh, two kids <laughs> that are in the service, just like their knucklehead mom and dad. But yeah. <laughs> so tell me what what branch did you serve in? And so I was uh, I was in the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, I jo- I you know joined delayed entry in eighty five, and I went in in eighty six, mm-hmm. and uh, and I I served from uh, from eighty six to early ninety two. So uh, I got I got the end of Cold War, and I did one tour in Iraq for Desert Storm. Okay. And yeah, how did your parents feel when you were um, getting ready to, to deploy and ship out? Oh, yeah. You know, I think that they, they were nervous about me going in initially. And then the weird thing for me really was that, that I didn't deploy to Iraq until right after my first reenlistment. So it's like I'd been in for a while. Uh, I'd already been in Germany. I'd, I'd done one duty station in Germany for three years. Mm-hmm. So I think I think they were quietly 
nervous and not so happy about it, but I also had been in long enough. I'd been out of the house that there was a, there was a little bit of separation for them. Although I think 10 years later, I got handed a, a huge box and the box had like every newspaper clipping and everything that was happening at the, at the time at home while I was, while I was deployed. So I think they were, they were quiet in front of me, but they were nervous and clipping every newspaper and collecting and reading everything they could find uh, when I was actually gone. Yeah. Tell me, what was your MOS when you were in? Uh, I was a 19 Delta, which is a, a cavalry scout. Okay. So it's a li- little bit of a combination of armor and reconnaissance. It kind of fits right in between. Uh, they always said that our, our job was to, uh, to be out in front. And when the infantry and the tank saw burning uh, machines off in the distance, they knew that's where we were all getting lit up and smoked. And they're like, oh, the bad guys must be there. The scouts are all dead. So it's like, oh, oh no. Why didn't they tell me that before? So, Well, what was your takeaway from your experience in the Army? Um, what was my takeaway? My takeaway, I think, was two things. One, everybody should do it a little bit. I and mean, even like you're talking about for your son, doing the reserves for a couple of years, the, the maturity and the, the separating you from your parents and learning how to operate on your own with a little bit of autonomy. It's like, you know, you know, it is military. You don't get full autonomy. There's a barracks. You have to be there at a certain time. And, mm-hmm. but I, I still learned how to not depend on my mom and dad. I learned how to do the the basics and some discipline. And I mean, I would have never, I'd never be here today if it wasn't for that. I mean, I would have never been ready for college. I, I would have dropped out of school and been a hot mess. And so it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a better person for it, for sure. In spite of, uh, you know, all the rough patches and the deployment and, and all that kind of thing. It's, it's just, it's so good for the maturing process. Yeah. When you came home from deployment, that was, you had what, a few years left, a, a couple years until you got out or. Right. I, I did. Um, when, when we got back in what, April, April, May, May 91, something mm-hmm. like that. I still had, you know, three and a half years on my enlistment but of course, then they did a massive riff at the end of that. Yeah. Um, and six months later, they were like, you know, everybody out, everybody. We are looking for an excuse to get rid of every, every anybody. And, uh, you know, I'd been shot at enough that I was like, you know, they're telling me I can get out. I can keep my bonus. I can nice. keep my I can keep all my reenlistment benefits. I can keep, you know, all of my army college fund and all the kickers they got. And get out. So I'm like, huh. All right. So I get to keep the money and they're going to pay me to go to college. And and I'm over 21 now. So I can sit there and drink beer and do school. All right. And and really, this is my, this is my mental state at the time. I'm like, Oh, I can drink beer and go to school for free. What? That's even better than sweeping the motor pool. I like that idea. Exactly. So did you decide what, what were you going to study? And like, you know, I had, I had no idea. I really, I really did. I, I arrived on day one, I, you know, out, no clue what I was going to do. I mean, they, they shot, you know, they, they taught me to, to shoot things and to use a pair of binoculars and read a map, mm-hmm. you know, so I had no idea, but I was, I was really fortunate. You know, I got some good advice from some older relatives that said, go to junior college. Uh, it'll allow you to kind of get your feet wet. It's cheap, so you'll actually won't use all your your uh, GI bill every month. So you'll have money left over, and you'll get to like figure out what you like in school. It gives you some time, 
and it, it really was true for me. It, it worked out. And I had a couple of good instructors, you know, some early professors early on who were fantastic mentors to me mm-hmm. and that they, they helped me understand here's where the world's going. Here's, here's what's changing. These are the things that are coming up. Here's the careers that are, that are, that are good and meet, you know, my, my personality type. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that educators, really good educators uh, are mentors mentors, and they're like shaping that young person's mind and their potential and being able to see their strengths and weaknesses, you know, and then, and then giving you that kind of advice to guide you on the road that you don't even realize your skill set. And I can tell you no clue. Yeah. There were a few people that were very um, pivotal to my career because at that time, when you don't know anything, you don't even know the right questions to ask. Right. Oh Yeah. And so those folks really came alongside me and was like, did you know, you know, you've got a really good way with people. And right. so I went into social work because I wanted to help people. And little did I know, like, while I was a photojournalist, you know, that was my stress relief job on the side. Oh, right. I didn't realize that that was a whole other career that I would embark on later. <laughs> um, but like, at what point did you decide, okay, I'm getting out, I'm, you know, uh, uh, an army veteran. And like going to school, what what clicked for you? Um, it was it was kind of a combination of things. It's like you know, some people were saying, "Hey, you know, there's you should get some kind of government job because you were in the military, so you get all these extra points, and it kind of it can help you towards your retirement." Other people are like, "Here's school." So I kind of did the shotgun approach. I went and talked to a couple of police departments. I went and looked at enrolling in school and what was available. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and 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 put feelers out in a couple of things and see what clicks. And it really was, you know, that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it's like I went on interviews and I went on. Um, uh, I did the, the 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 prep school for the LAPD, you know, to learn how to talk to them in their interview process. And I I went to a couple schools and looked at um, you know what kind of degrees they had and what how does it work. And okay, you don't have to take anything important the first two years; it's all general ed. So I I was kind of learning as I went, and um, you know, new veteran just out of Desert Storm. The police departments were like, "Hey, you're great. This is." You get these bonus points and, you know, you're disciplined and all these mm-hmm. things. I'm like, oh, well, maybe this is the way. And, and of course, they, they sold the and you can go to to school at the same time. We all have officers that have have degrees and we'll we'll pay for more school. I'm like, oh, more free stuff. <laughs> and then and then a, a, a hiring freeze happened. Okay. And and they're like, hey, we, we absolutely want you. But there's a temporary hiring freeze. And right then is kind of when the semester was starting at Fullerton College, which is where I went, the junior college I went to. And I'm like, okay, well, then this is the avenue that's available right now. I got to do something. And I knew by going to school, you know, GI Bill and Army College Fund and all those things all paid me. So I'm like, all right, this is this is the path that's open to me. This is the one of release resistance. And that's certainly one of the things I kind of learned in the military, you know, path of least resistance. You know, take take what's offered to you and change your plan as you go. And so I did, I started school and it was, you know, the real basics, the algebra and the history they, they're like, Hey, just take the basic stuff, file with your, with veterans affairs at, at school. And that just kind of started me along that line. And by the time the police department kind of came back a semester or two later, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm really enjoying this. It's, in, it's great being back in school. I had a nice flow to it. I could tell the discipline I'd learned from the military, you know, suddenly made 
what seemed horrible in high school seemed very easy at this point. Yeah. So what, what were the classes that you were drawn to? Um, I mean, early on, it really was just the basics. And then that one teacher said, hey, here's where kind of computers and businesses business are going today. And it was really early days of early websites and and technology and mm-hmm. IT becoming really a, a thing and, the, and, and PCs. And so she's like, start taking these classes, you know, kind of go that business route with as much technology as you can kind of grab along the way. And that worked for me. Like you said, it's like, I like talking to people and they're like, that's great. Business people are like this, but I had an understanding of technology. Technology made sense to me. The classes were felt easy. Mm -hmm. I never, my dad was an engineer, but I never tended towards the, the, the hardcore, the math side, the coding, Mm -hmm. you know, it just wasn't, that's not the way my brain brain worked, but on the business side, it was this kind of this lighter side. Can you talk about it? And ooh, I like telling stories. That's great. I love to chatting with people. Um, so that's kind of where where she, you know, this mentor professor of mine, led me. She's like, go down this route. IT's really coming in. You get to be in the business department. They run all the marketing people. You know, it's it's a, it's the place for people with personalities, and you like to be around others. I'm nice. like, oh, great. That's that fits me perfectly. So then, what happened after school? Um, after school, it really was a lot of luck. You know, it's like, you know, you, you get your first job out of, you know, the last job, like between school and, and like, you know, real career was this hybrid job where I started in the warehouse, but they knew what I was going to school for. And so they're like, Hey, part-time, do you want to help, you know, with the, the local area network? And do you want to help with the, the marketing stuff? So I, you know, they didn't have enough time for it full-time. So I'd work in the warehouse and I kind of was the, you know, the IT guy. Mm-hmm. Well, then I graduated and all of a sudden, you know, the, the calls start coming in and, and I got offered. So, you know, a real job, you know, in somebody's help desk. And so I got to work with the, the marketing departments and the technology departments and start to see what was going on. And that kind of marched me down. Always, you know, always made friends with the marketing people, but I was in the IT side. So they'd always like ask for me on marketing projects, you know, can Keith help out with, with this? He seems to get what we're doing as well. And so I, I, I kind of kept on writing this line for the first couple of jobs where I was always dealing with the marketing folks, but I was technically in IT until the point when I think it was early 2000-ish when I found myself in one of these new dot-com, you know, uh, consulting startups. Yeah. And one and one of my bosses got got fired. He was dipping his hand in the cookie jar or something that he wasn't supposed to be doing. And they're like, "Hey, um, your boss was both the engineering side manager for you and your team, but also the web development manager. You're now in charge of the web developers." Oh, wow. like, you know. And I'd done a little bit. I'd done a little bit of coding. Uh, in school and that kind of thing. So I understand what is the same thing. This is kind of the, the theme of my career. I know about two inches thick, but I knew it really wide. Yeah. I have a lot of, a lot of useless information. My wife would say, <laughs> uh, 
You know, you know what's and, really cool? What's really cool huh. is uh, whenever I talk to founders, there yeah. isn't that much of a focus or an emphasis on, <laughs> no, on totally root, your, your grassroots. Like, how did right. you get started? And I mean, humbling jobs, right? Like I hear from people, oh, I was a bartender or when I right. got out of the service, I was like couch surfing, t- doing whatever, working retail yep. or, uh, uh, you know, food service or right. you know, working on the, the line as a line chef. And a lot of humbling work that literally that those are the... Those are the days when you're forging your identity on what you don't want to do, but (laughs) (laughs) but also what you realize that you have the potential of. And I think those days are so important. Those stories are really important to tell because we always see these CEOs and like the big success and like all of the the clients you work with and the big names. But people forget that we all started off. Yeah. As that 17, you know, young kids, 17 year old getting yeah. shipping off to the military, trying to figure out who you are. And a series of those um, life experiences makes you who you are today. So, yeah, I mean, tell me at what point did you stop becoming an employee and realize, hey, I would be good at running my own business? So it was right. It was that consulting job in in 2000 when my boss got fired because the dot coms had their first big blow up and, you know, so many things went away. And I was so frustrated that I was trying to put these things together. And I kept on seeing things fail because people were they were they were lazy or they were they were trying to grab money too soon. It's like they were that it was all, you know, about excess and the, mm-hmm. certainly the early 2000s, the dot-coms were, were all about excess. And I was so frustrated. That was the first time my brain said, you could do a better job at this than them. Yeah. And I, and I talked to my wife and I said, I said, these knuckleheads just flush this down the toilet. We had so many, I have such a great team that's reporting to me and they're doing such great work. And these guys, you know, the, the, the sales guys were being greedy and their, their managers were pushing them to do the wrong things. Hmm. And then the first time something went wrong, it all collapsed. I'm like, they were being so short-sighted. I, I could do a better job. And so she's like, what does that mean? I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to bring all the guys together and I'm going to make a company and I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to keep these guys together mm-hmm. and, and we're going to turn this into, you know, our own shop. And she's like, what are you thinking? <laughs> so, I mean, you had to have buy-in from, from her at some point. Oh, know? the boss. Yeah. The boss was like, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's, I'm fortunate enough. I have somebody that really supports me. You know, she questioned it. Like, how are you going to do this? And you've never done that before. And you know, what's, what's the plan? She's, she's an accountant by trade. And so she was like, you know, okay, give me, well, what, how does all this going to work out? How do the numbers work? That's exactly my dad put me through that. He's, he uh, retired as a CFO. Um, He was a management accountant. And um, so when I decided to go into business for myself, he's like, "Uh, but you're also going through a divorce and you're leaving the military and you're raising three kids on your own. And uh, this doesn't make any logical sense. (laughs) Put everything on a spreadsheet. And, you know, that forced me like, what's your business plan? And how are you going to scale? I had no idea, but honestly, oh, I'm I'm really it. glad I had people like him in my life because there are yep. folks that were just tough as nails that forced me to think beyond the touchy feely. I'm just going to go out there and conquer the world, you know, <laughs> without a business oh, plan. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I got my ass handed to me is what I got. I mean, that's, that's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of like getting, getting to success is not a linear thing. That's what I told people. I'm like, I have burned so many companies to the ground. 
I'm like, you know, anybody who said, you know, like, I think you made the comment about people see, you know, the success or the big clients that you have or, or who, you know, who you're working for. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they see the su- successful part. And I'm like, I have literally burned six companies to the ground making mistakes. So I've, what are, what was the big thing? Like, I'm, I'm curious to find out when you decided to get the team of developers together, right. And kind of start right? your own thing. Yeah. What was the lesson that you learned at that point that you're like, I could do this better. Like, what was the golden rule at that point, the aha moment that you were realizing that this company you work for just didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't grasp this, this golden rule that you were like, I can, I can do it better. Well, the golden rule that they broke was be good people. And, and it really, and it really is the key to all, every company I've had is that they, they literally both treated their employees and their, their employees. It's like, it's like all every, every point, their employees, their vendors, you know, and their clients, they lie cheated and stole from all of them. Hmm. And like, how is that ever going to work? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's just make as much money until, you know, until you get caught, basically. Yeah. I'm like, how's that supposed to work? And I, and I saw there were some pieces in there. I'm like, this is a really good guy. If you traded him well, he would have done anything for you. Yeah. You know, if you'd, if you'd taken care of this client instead of trying to milk every penny out of them, when things got, went wrong, he actually liked the team as well. If he didn't feel like he got shafted, he probably would have protected us even when so many other budgets went wrong because because there was a connection there yeah but but because the other things were going on he's like i can't protect you guys so i gotta cut you mm. you know so and so that was kind of where i went for this company's like we're going to treat everybody like like humans and it, it may not go perfectly but we're going to get this part right and it did that part went right we had a good team who was who was well who was well liked they were they were very um uh, they, they were very passionate about their work. They were willing to work together. And we had a small set of clients that were like, oh, we're so excited to see you guys still together. We like it. Let's see what we can do. Now, we had happenstance go on a- along our way. And there's another dot-com um, stock market crash mm-hmm. a few months in. And then six months later, 9-11 happened. So it was just kind of like a, a one-two punch that made that first company really tough. We, we burned through all the money we'd kind of saved. You know, we, there, there were, the companies were still going under and the dot-coms went under and we were working with tech and tech's like, well, there's no dot-coms for us to sell to, so we don't have any money for you guys. So there, there were a lot of things that kind of went wrong, but I, I realized kind of at the end of it is like, okay, I've got this culture thing that's right, but I didn't really know how, I didn't really have the, the network yet. I had, I think, the personality for when I could find somebody, somebody wanted to work with us. Yeah. But I didn't know how to do that yet. And so when, when the easy ones went away, you know, because the second dot-com crash and because mm-hmm. of 9-11, it's like it all just came falling apart. And eventually it did. It fell, it fell apart. And what I what I've ended up doing over kind of the course of my career is I start a business and then, you know, it comes to whatever end. And then I go back and I go and say, I, I ask the same question you did. What did I learn from this? Mm-hmm. What went well and what am I missing? Why couldn't it weather whatever that, that piece was? And then I try to find friends from friends from college, friends from the military, friends from, from clients and said, 
here's what I have to offer. Here's what I've learned. I want to come work for you for six months, a year, two years, and this is what I have to offer. And here's what you're doing that I really need. And I almost always took less money than than I could have if I had just gotten a, a day job. If I'd just gotten a job at a, a big corporate where I, I listed out you know, the, the big companies we'd worked with at the consulting company and just got a job. Mm-hmm. But instead I found somebody who, who had something I knew I was missing. Like I didn't know how to do, you know, correct project management, or I didn't know how to get in front of other people or, or how, how do you get invited to a trade show or you know, some things are, were just small nuts and bolts things, but you're like, you're talking about before. Sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. Yep. Well, each time I got my ass handed to me, I'm like, oh, I'm missing one of those. I had no idea I needed that to run a company. So I'd go and find somebody who'd hire me where I had something to offer that was valuable to them. Mm-hmm. And I was open to them. Hey, I'm going to be here for a couple of years. And this is what I want to do because eventually I want to go and I want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And so I made several hops along the way and I'd try something and I'd start and I'd try something and it, you know, I'd, I'd find something else I was missing. I'd get a job somewhere else. You know, and it was kind of slowly building on those things. And I think the most important thing I, you know, for, for me, for my personality style was I was slowly building a network. You know, over time, yeah. you meet more people. You learn how to meet people. You learn what things work and what things don't work. And so slowly I became this much more well-rounded entrepreneur where before I, like, I had a passion I could do it better, but I had none of the tools to do it. And I didn't even know what people to get. And then I'd get some people and, you know, some of them didn't work out. Some of them said they were part of that culture, but they really, they they really weren't there to help. I'm like, okay, here's how to balance the risks. Here's what it means to bring partners on and, you know, the, the legal troubles with that and the benefits of it. And here's the difference between an an employee and, uh, and somebody who also is is a shareholder in the company. And you have to find those balances for those for, for what works for you. And yes. that's what slowly allowed me to build that. Some something that's standing out to me too from what you're here what you're saying is that the different roles people play within the company. You know, right. how how important is it for somebody who's a founder to hire people that don't have the strengths or the skills that you do? And how that's do you exactly find those right. people? And I think for me, it the the biggest part for me was understanding that what I found is I could do all of them decently but you just can't do them all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, which ones am I best at? Which ones do I have to hire for? And, and with those travels to those other companies, my network was growing. So now it's like when I needed something, I at least knew somebody who was in that field from that other company I was at. And I'd, I'd say, hey, Steve, um, I need one of these for my new startup. Do you know anybody who who fits my personality style that looks at things the way that I do and can probably, you know, startup can probably sacrifice a little bit for the long run to be part of this because we're not a big company yet. I can't afford to pay. I can't afford this, but I know I need it. So how can we make this? How can I provide something to them that's valuable and hopefully you know, in exchange for money? You know, I don't have any money. So how can I give you something else? And that's, that's kind of what we slowly did. I, I slowly learned people in the production management side, people on the kind of the true sales side, people in the engineering side, mm-hmm. and could could build teams that slowly became all the, all the pieces that we need. And sometimes I feel like I got it right and still things went wrong. You know, I had a, 
an agency in 2008 with two partners that was absolutely just humming along. Our growth was great. We were in a great market segment. And, you know, it, then 2008 hit and the, the, the mortgage crash happened. Mm-hmm. And we had that same thing happen where we had everything going pretty smoothly. And all of a sudden you lose three or four clients in, in about a two week time span because so many of them were, they were either connected to the mortgage in, industry and the housing industry, or their funding came from somebody who was. And so clients just disappeared. And it's like, we had all these pieces together. And yet in spite of all of our, um, kind of our lessons and our stop gaps, we, it was just too much. It was more, it was more than we could, than we could, than we, you know, pipeline for and managed. And, and I think that was the last time, that was the last time I took partners on. And also the last time, not that I have a problem with, with having partners, but it's the last time I let the financials be outside of my kind of belief structure. Mm-hmm. And I really found you know, the, the thing that, that, that was my backstop on that one was, hey, here's where we made these decisions to buy a, buy a little nicer office or to give ourselves, you know, we'd been doing this for several years and so we gave ourselves some raises because we deserved it. Mm-hmm. But what we didn't have in our model was what happens when something goes wrong? We, we built a good system, but when, but when something inevitably goes wrong and things do, cycles happen. How long can we last? Where where is that financial projection side? And yeah. I think that was my last my last lesson was I still hadn't learned the lesson of of money of that of that finance person um, to 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 really get that right. I'm like, if we'd avoided these things, we'd have had this much money in the bank, mm-hmm. and we probably could have weathered this. And that was kind of the final lesson I think that I learned in and that was one of my last startups before what we're doing now. Those are hard lessons. Uh, Yeah, they're brutal. They're brutal. And it not only affects you, it affects your employees, it affects your families. We let 22 people go in one day. Yeah. It was, it was the most gut wrenching, horrible thing. I hate firing people. Mm -hmm. I absolutely hate it. I, I probably, some people would say I mistakenly treat everybody like family and I'm like, it, but it's just it's just my style. It's the way it's the way my brain works. It's the way I have to do things. I've been so, told that too. You know that leave no, you personal, can't do that. It's, leave it's personal business. aside. Business right. is business, and I'm like, yeah, okay, but how but do what's you more separate? personal than business? Exactly. If, could, if you're putting your heart and soul into this business, this is like yeah. your child. You know, it, it, this, yeah. You spend more time with people you work with than sometimes yeah. your own family members. And those people you hire, you spend a lot of time finding them. And, and some people just like, oh, business is down a little bit, just cut 10 people. You know, business is up, okay, bring some people on. And they just, it just comes and goes and just, it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've become very, it's like I'm slow to hire and I'm fiercely protective what somebody's, what somebody's in the organization. You know? I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm the same way because the way I look at it is how, do, how would I want to be treated? Right. And I have been, you know, you and I both have been there. You know, we've been treated that way. And we're like, okay, that's when I'm running my organization, we're not going to do that. Whatever mm-hmm. it costs, whatever that takes. And I'd rather people say, oh, but you're going to get screwed over. And I do. I trust to a fault, but I'm like, I'd rather be on that receiving end. If I'm going to make a mistake, I'd rather be on the receiving end of trusting someone who then really didn't have the same belief system I did. Mm-hmm. But at least I didn't let them down. i I can, I, everything else I can protect against. Yeah. So now we, now, now we leave, you know, now 
the, any company that we, we run now or we build or offshoots always has whatever your monthly run rate is, we've got, we've got six months built in. Everything could come to a crashing halt and we could sit there completely idle for six months. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is even in the worst, even in the worst situations I've been in the various startups, none of them went to zero. You know, there's always that little trickle that's coming in. Yeah. Like, well, so if you have a if you have a cushion in there, and for us, you know, the number we've come up with is six months. If it's a six months cushion, and you really do have a little bit coming in every month, then that really probably is more eight nine months cushion. And most things, you know, barring 2020, you know how craziness that was. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't last that long. And even the, and that's what Yellow Pipe went through this past year during 2020. Is we made we went into COVID, and even though our work changed, we had people like on the creative team and things like that, and that kind of work, like video production work, everything came to a c- crashing halt during COVID. Oh yeah, I no, I had zero f- video production work. Right. It was all digital. We we kept everybody for six months. And because of the kind of people we hired, everybody was like, hey, whatever work you have for me to do, you need me to sweep a floor? You want me to help on the influencer team? You want me to you know help write stuff? And like everybody's like, whatever we can do. And we did. We found we found work for everyone. And we we were, you know, I've been hit several times along the way, like we're talking about, where financial crisis or whatever, and whatever we were offering was the thing that people were getting rid of. They're like, sorry, we just have to cut this. Mm-hmm. Yellow Pike's the first time where one of our offerings, in our case, influencers, happened to be the thing everybody wanted when COVID hit. Because they couldn't do TV commercials, they couldn't do live events. So what they did is, you know, a lot of, a lot of big brands said, okay, we're gonna have to use creators because they're already making their stuff from home anyway. Yeah. And so I just, I just pushed everybody in the company and said, how are you willing to help in the work that we have? And everyone said yes. And about six months in, we had one artist who was a contractor and she came to me and she said, I am so grateful that you guys really did what you said and you've been paying me to not do very much for six months and I've, I've helped out. I want you to know I have some offers that can offset money. I'm going to go do that, not because I don't love what you're doing, but because I don't want you to waste that money. Hmm. And as soon as I can, I want to come back. And she was one of the first people we hired kind of as, as the economy was coming back around last Christmas time. Yeah. She was the first one we brought back because we were like, she was such an amazing employee to be part of. And for her to say, hey, you helped me out when things were, were, were really bad. And I, I can fill that somewhere else now and you don't really need me. Let me go do this. And I know that we'll reconnect here. And it was, it was one of the six months, about six, That's seven totally months awesome. later. And she's like, and I contacted her. I'm like, hey, I could really use your help. She goes, you know, those contracts that I, I got all actually just ran out. I'm actually was getting ready to try to figure out what was available. I'm like, don't even think about it. And we're bringing on as an employee with benefits day one. It, yeah. It's not even, it's not even, if, you, if you're down, you know, you're, you know, I, I felt horrible letting you go. And she's like, don't, don't. That was me being able to return the favor. Mm-hmm. And so that, she's one of my greatest employees and actually just did this amazing uh, artwork that that got selected by a client. So she's been, she's still been helping out in a ton of other things. And, but what she is by trade is an artist. And okay. one of her pieces just got collected, uh, cho- chosen the other day. And so it was like a, a huge win that she kind of came back and now actually helped us win a big piece of business. And 
So it's like, it, it shows me this, this culture thing really works out. If we surround ourselves with the right people, like I said, it's taken me, you know, six companies to figure that out, but we're slowly getting there. Yeah. I mean, some don't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> don't, it's you just, know? there's or, some luck involved or you like you you lose the first couple companies and you're like i'm never doing that again <laughs> I, I felt I, I felt that way there's six months sometimes where i'm like no i can't go through that emotional drain again but six months later you're like i really miss it and sometimes it took me another year year and a half to come up with an idea mm-hmm. but yeah it, it gets me every time so tell me a bit about what yellow pike media does in a nutshell um in a nutshell, we're a full service social media agency. Mm-hmm. You know, we work with we work with Fortune 500 clients, and our specialty is the video. You know, like you know, because you know my friend Rick, uh, our specialty is video games. Yeah. So when when Jack in the Box says, "Hey, we want to go and um, as par- as part of our annual campaign, we really want to go after this gamer segment," or um, NASCAR comes to us and they say, look, we know our demographic is aging. We really want to understand what's going on in gaming. Teach us about this. How can we collaborate with other young creators who also might like NASCAR and car racing and driving or, you know, a new movie's coming out and they're like, they're like, this is not a movie. This isn't a sci-fi movie, but we think there's this segment that gamers would really like in it. Help us communicate to those people. And that's what we do. We either nice. create content or we work with influencers. We kind of pull a lot of levers, but it's always around. Somebody says, I think the gamer audience would like my product. Help me show that to them. This is a really unique way of reaching a demographic that's not in traditional um, media. You know, how, right. how did you bring yourself to understand the latest trend or what's happening, you know, with the, the influencer community? Like, what does it take for you to stay current when the uh the scene is constantly changing it it really is just surrounding myself with people who absolutely love it you know because obviously i've aged way out of out of the gaming you know i'm i'm a i'm a nerd by dna but you know <laughs> but i don't have the time i'm not the right age anymore that i play those games so i stay connected to it so i sur- my teams you know that i surround myself with they, they play all those games. They're still in that. They're passionate about it. And so we create this little think tank. And so any question we ask about gaming or, or anything nerd, you know, we've got people that are part of it who are not just professionals in their part. They're on the creative team or they're on their influencer team, but they really are playing these games and watching these creators or watching this on TikTok and they're on YouTube and Twitch. So they're, they're super passionate about it. And they're also professionals in, in the industry. Okay. So we mix that we mix the two together and we're like, well, what would you do? What would you oh, you know, we see some things sometimes we're like, what were they thinking? Nobody, nobody's gonna believe that. You can tell somebody who doesn't understand gaming created this because they're they're pandering to a stereotype instead of mm-hmm. what you'd really do if you were that person. And so our team is made up of those people. Well, what would you want to see? What would it look like? What would it yeah. feel like? Why is that why does that not work? And so that's exactly it, what I do for a living. That creative, <laughs> that, 
that user journey flow and understanding yep. your users. You See, know? yes, trying not to use any of the buzzwords. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I didn't say user journey. I know no funnels. Look at you trying to suck us into into marketing bingo. There we go. Yeah, I, I'm trying to get somebody that's not on the engineering side for a minute and uh, there you go. <laughs> talk All right. creative. We, we we can funnel and we can we can get into the metaverse and. You know, I'm more interested in like what what have you learned since running Yellow Pike Media? What's the big takeaway from, you know, having a great team and staying current and creating content? And, you know, what where do you want to take Yellow Pike Media, let's say, in five years? Um, I truly think our key to success is turning down work. It really is. Um, so many times in the past, we've done work that that has burned bridges in some way. You, you, you're doing things from, the thing that we haven't done at Yellow Pike was take money for the wrong reasons. Hmm. Because we've seen it so many times. You take that project that just sucks the life out of you. It's not a, it's not a good cultural fit. People talk about it all the time, especially in, in the marketing agency side. They talk about, oh, you know, let's, let's make sure to meet and have a good cultural fit. But in the in the in the back room in the in the meeting, they're like, we need fucking revenue, and so you know you sell whatever you can. But they don't they don't need a they don't need a TV commercial. Yeah, but the the video guys are available, so that's what we're gonna bill. Like, yep. oh. and so that's what we haven't done. And so the goal is is to keep we're gonna we're gonna say no to success. Do a comma in there. The grammar's tough, but. You know, it's like we're going to keep on saying no until we're successful. Mm -hmm. Because what we keep on not having is we keep on not having bad clients that, you know, say something negative about us in, you know, in the industry. Or I know it's so, you know, we're talking about how hard it is to hire good people. Mm -hmm. I don't have people leave because they got burnt out from a client or they got burnt by the, by the work we're doing or that we never, nobody ever takes any vacation. People leave because they got to a natural place and they're like, I really want to try this new thing. I, I, I really love it here, but you've taught me all these things. And so now I'm capable of doing these other things. I need to continue my journey. Mm -hmm. And it always ends with something better. They become clients or the next person that comes in really even fills that role even better or, or what that role needs to be next. So we keep on saying no to, to kind of the bad ideas and somehow that always leaves room. And Seth Godin talks a little bit about this when we'll be into marketing nerds is, you know, Seth Godin talks about it all the time is that, is that if your factory is full all the time, you don't have any room for anything else. So a lot of, a lot of people in my you know industry constantly try to keep it completely full. So they, they take bad jobs, they take marginal jobs. Instead, if you leave a little capacity, if you leave room, then when like really interesting opportunities come up, you have, the chance to take them. And we're finding we're growing much faster by doing a little bit less. And yeah. so that's kind of, that's kind of where we're, that's where we're headed next. And so we were, we were at five people and then we were at 10 people and now we're at 15 and we average, you know, we're like, we're like 15 employees and about 10, 10 to 15 contractors at any one time. Mm -hmm. And that's about 50% growth during COVID, which I, I think is absolutely amazing. Yeah, for sure. When in an industry where a lot of people that I know were hit hard, yeah, especially in production, 
Yeah, you know? for sure. I think we we went backwards. We did the lessons learned thing first, which was great because I think yeah. like building up your business, you know, you're you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn things. Um, what's what would you want the listeners to take away from this, from your own journey, your own veteran story? Look, look, me like I said from the very beginning. Look for the path. If, if there's an opening, there's an opening. Take it. Do things for the right reason. Be willing to say no. And I know it's difficult, you know, we all learned in, in school, Maslow, Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs. And yes, you have, you have to have money so that way you can have a roof over your head, but try, but try not to make that the driving factor. The, the money will show up. The money and the success shows up if you do a good job. You know, if you're fair, if you treat people well, you know, and sometimes it does, it takes years for that to come around. It takes time for people to build trust. Everyone wants it to happen so immediately. There's plenty of time, you know, the, the one thing I've learned is be a little bit slower. And I think, you know, we all learn this in the military. They always say, you know, you know, slow, is smooth and smooth is fast. Yep. And I, and I really do say it to my team all the time. I'm like, slow down. And so that's my, that's really my recommendation to people say, no, watch for the open path, move slowly. And you'll be amazed at how much faster your company grows, your career grows, your your bank account grows. Mm-hmm. Now that I don't worry about it, now that I say no to things, I look for the right things to do, our, our bank accounts and our growth rates and our office size, all those things are growing in spite of the fact that we're constantly looking for a reason not to do things. I mean, I think it's uh, it sounds counterintuitive to people on the outside, but I yeah. definitely learned personally that, you know, being um, strategic and and self-aware, you know, knowing yeah. what your limitations are, knowing when oh, to say sure. no. Um, that's a really big, that's a really big lesson. It's hard. Learn. Yeah, for it's sure. Super, it's super hard because sometimes you, you worried you're going to be hungry. You were, you worry that, you, that you're not going to make payroll. You know, the, there's all these very real needs, mm-hmm. but if you do them for the right reasons, it just always seems to, to work out. It leave it leaves an opportunity for you to do something great. Well, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope yeah, we have, have you back uh, another time um, with uh, maybe some of your other employees that have helped you grow your business. Um, everybody, you're listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Join us every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, and get shit done. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.